0: Hey, good morning, Castle Oaks. We're really glad that you're online. And if you're watching this, it's because we're all a little bit snowed in. And uh, we anticipated that this might happen, and uh, as did the whole state, an epic snowstorm. And so we wanted to record something a bit early so that we would at least be able to gather in a dispersed way. It seems ironic to me that we're doing this again as we celebrate the anniversary of the beginning of our lockdown and the pandemic. But we're grateful for the technology. We're grateful that we could have this experience in this way and that this is not new to us. We get to have church just like this. And so where you are, where I am, we're dispersed and yet God's word is living and active and he can draw us all together. Hey, so a couple things before we get started announcement-wise. We're pretty excited about the food bank around here and Crops and Scott Stevens and their whole ministry. They are going to actually celebrate one year this coming Saturday, and so... We're excited about that. It happened just as the lockdown occurred. Um, It's been an incredible blessing to our community and the ministry and the work that they've done, expanding it to uh, dental work with Martinez Clinic and all the various ways they've met the needs of people who live in Castle Rock and folks that live even beyond. And so uh, if you ever cross paths with Scott or have a chance to volunteer with the food bank, then you'll get a chance to know what that's all about. We're really excited about that. Another really important announcement we want you to dial into real quick. Don't forget this. One week from today, we will have a very special Sunday. We're welcoming in a candidate for associate pastor here at Castle Oaks. Um, Because of the church's incredible generosity and faithful giving, we're able to think about how we continue to grow and expand and meet the needs of our community and our church family. And so next Sunday... We'll welcome this individual. Uh, We'll get a chance to hear from this person interview-wise and a little bit of teaching. And then immediately after church, we will have online and here in this room in person a congregational meeting to affirm the budget change that this would require and uh, the hiring of this specific individual. And so if you're a member of the church, you got a mailing. If you didn't get a mailing, then you could call us this week. We can send something out to you or even email something to you to give you a little bit more information. And then we'll, of course, talk about it in detail next Sunday. So we're really excited about that, and we hope that you jump in and participate and... uh, and get a chance to see where we're headed and how God is working in all of that. We're in this series, it's called Honest to God between now and Easter, and I think we're gonna take it even a bit beyond Easter. We're in the Psalms, and in the Psalms, we get a chance to learn some things about the heart of God, our own emotions, and what we're asking you to do as we go through this series is take a look at the Psalm of the week, spend some time with it, spend some time reading it. We gave you some thoughts last week about how the Psalms kind of integrate who we are as a follower of Jesus. And so as we do that and we talk about the, the emotional ride of the Psalms and the various things that we go through, I, I can't even imagine going through this series without telling you the story of this man here. His name's Natan Sharansky. Natan is a, he's a Soviet jewish man he was born in the ussr and in 1948 now he's 73 years old and he works with a a global organization that fights anti-semitism and uh, supports jewish people all over the world but in the 80s and 90s as a young man in his 30s and 40s he was a human rights activist and fought hard for jewish rights all over the world and specifically in the Soviet Union. And as a result, the Soviet Union imprisoned him for about nine years. Now, his story is famous, not only because of who he is and what he's accomplished, but because of what happened to him in terms of his own growth while he was in prison. The night before he was imprisoned, back in the 1980s, this is his wife, Avital. Avital gave Natan a little tiny book, it's a little bitty black book. And the only thing that was contained in this book was the Hebrew text of the Psalms. This is a a picture of his book. And this is the only book he had the whole time he was imprisoned. In fact, he didn't even have it the whole time he was in prison. It was taken from him at one time, and then it was mistakenly given back to him. He's not supposed to have, of course, any religious writings or any, any books that would be you know, printed outside of the Soviet Union that they would consider as uh, illegal contraband or, or propaganda. When he was given it back mistakenly, he tore the one page out of it that indicated that it was printed in Israel. And, of course, his captors, they couldn't read Hebrew, and so he just told them it was a book of, of folklore mythology, and they allowed him to keep it. And so he read the Psalms over and over and over again. In his memoir, his, his autobiography, he explains the power of the Psalms and what this small little black book did for him how it gave him hope. He said it was a dark season, of course, nine years in prison. In a dark prison, he said it was his only ray of hope, his only semblance of light. And it instilled in him an understanding of what he was going through, how his emotions played a part. It gave him the hope that he needed. In fact, he would say that this little tiny book of Psalms written in his language of Hebrew, it transformed him and it gave him It gave him light. As I said, now he's he's 73. He's written two memoirs in his life. The first memoir that he wrote, you can see a part of the title in this old picture of Sharansky. It is Fear No Evil. Obviously, a quote from the words and the phrasing of Psalm 23. Now, in his older age, he's written another memoir about his time in prison and his uh, relationship to politics, And he's called it Never Alone. Sharansky says this idea of being never alone, deeply embedded into his life because of his time. And the Psalms powerfully transformed him. Now, my hope is that we don't have to go through that same experience that he went through for the Psalms to begin to transform us, but that we would see their power, especially... As we experience loneliness, dark emotions, and difficult times, as well as joy and celebration, they're all contained in the poetry, in the lyrics, in the art of the Psalms. Now, this is interesting. After nine years being in prison, he was being released. Um, The U.S. played a part in that. In fact, Ronald Reagan played a part in his release. And as he was being released, in fact, this is a picture of his actual uh, landing after his release, the plane that he was in. He was brought out from the prison that he was in and he began to make his way across the tarmac right in front of the plane. He's, He's just, after nine years, getting his first little small taste of freedom and he realized he didn't have his book with him, his little psalm book. And so he stopped on his way to the plane on this snow-covered tarmac and said, where's, where's my psalm book? Where's my psalm book? And his prison guard looked at him who was in charge of this transfer and he said, I gave you everything that was permitted. And Sharansky, before he got on the plane, he laid down in the snow, the cold snow, on his back. Photographers were all around as they watched this take place. And as he laid there in the snow, he simply said, I will not move until you give me back my psalm book. This, this book, of course, it's not the item, but it's the content that became so transformational for him. Photographers didn't even know what to do. They just pointed their cameras away. It was such an intimate and raw personal moment. And finally, uh, the, the guard in charge of this transfer and this release went back in and brought him out his book and handed it to him. It's been restored. It was in a museum for a while. Now it's in his possession, this, this little psalm book. Sharansky teaches us the little bit that we learned last week. In, the, in large form of his life, we experience it every day. And this is what we said, that the psalms teach us how to integrate what we know and what we feel. Absolutely, there would have been truths that Sharansky that would know. But now that he's in prison or experiencing desolate loneliness He has to figure out, is it true? Is it real? The bedrock foundational things about his Jewish faith, can he understand that they are actually true in freedom and in confines while he is experiencing all of the beauty of the world or while he's locked in solitary confinement? And we figure out the same thing, whether we're going through some of the highs of our life, the joys, or some of the lows. And this is what we know. That sometimes the things we know, the knowledge we have, they're in control of our life, but sometimes our feelings are in control of our life. But the Psalms teach us how to bring these two together and experience one integrated person, integrity. That's our hope. And the question as we read the Psalms is this, how? How does that happen? How can we allow that experience to be real and true in our own hearts and our own minds so that we're not walking around as two different people? What we know operating on good days and what we feel driving our actions or our attitudes or our emotions in ways that feels like there's nobody at the wheel and we have no idea what's gonna come out next. And so this week we've asked you to engage in reading Psalm 46 And Psalm 46 has a few of the verses throughout the Psalms that are universally people's favorite. This is the very first verse of Psalm 46, and this may be one of your favorites as well. It says this, "'God is our refuge and strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble.'" My guess is, is over the last year, this is a verse that some of you have turned to occasionally to remind you that even in the middle of a pandemic and even in the middle of difficulty, financial or health, or maybe over the years, various times, you have reminded yourself that God is a refuge and God is a strength and he is an ever present help. He's always ready to help. And yet, this psalm and this verse helps us understand what we know. But sometimes, it could be when you find yourself alone, desperate, hurting, uncertain, angry, or fearful, our feelings are very different than this. Sometimes we wonder, is God present? Is he here? In fact, if we were to maybe word our feelings at times into a prayer. It might look or sound something like this. Lord, here's the deal. If I'm being honest, sometimes I don't feel very protected. I feel vulnerable and I feel exposed. And sometimes I don't feel very strong. I don't feel like I have strength. Sometimes I feel quite weak. And it's during those times, Lord, when I don't feel protected or I feel like there's something at risk or like I'm not sure, future is uncertain, it's during those times that it feels like you are quite distant. This series is called Honest to God for a Reason, because this is where we have to start. Unless we can own these feelings, unless we can maybe admit them or say them out loud or give our own words to them or voice them in this unique way, then we can't even begin. And we have to be honest and say, I know God, you're our refuge. You're our strength, I know. But sometimes it feels like harm is about to come my way. Sometimes it feels like that you're not ever present, that you're distant, quiet, silent, unavailable. And so if this is what I know, and yet sometimes this is what I feel, how can this psalm Help me find my way. So here's what I would suggest as we go through this series and maybe as you take some time over the next few weeks or even in the weeks to come following Easter to read through the Psalms and think about how they transform us. Some of you might find it beneficial if you started a Psalm journal. And it's a lot of words, I know, but don't, don't worry about paying attention to all of these. These are just ideas, and we'll include some of these ideas in e-news this week and in our email so you don't have to make any notes or write anything down. The questions, though, will help you find your way. And here's what these questions will do. They'll help guide you to a place where what you know and what you feel slowly become integrated. And as you do that, you find that your feelings can be transformed, In fact, this is the power of the Psalms. They transform us from the inside out and they help integrate our hearts and our minds. And so you would ask these questions as you read the Psalm. What's the truth that's declared? What feelings get in the way of this truth? And then you're gonna talk about even your own emotions, uh, an uncomfortable place to go for a lot of people who don't spend a lot of time thinking about what they're feeling, what emotions and feelings are described and when did you last feel these emotions? And then, really, the last question is the biggest one. How can I bring my feelings under the umbrella of the truth that I'm learning in this psalm? Because here's what you'll notice David gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly, and all the other authors of the psalms, they give us everything, even if it's just some of the most unappealing or, or most embarrassing, difficult to admit emotions and feelings that they experience. But in every psalm, there's a path and a journey that I bring these feelings before God and God begins to transform them and we see this take place in the lyrics and the poetry of every psalm, all 150. And some of these feelings are joy and gratitude and thankfulness and some of them are fear and anger and loneliness and everything in between. So if you were to begin a a psalm journal, you would begin writing some of these things and pondering. And what we know about discipleship, becoming more like Jesus as we walk with him, is this truth that there is nothing more transformative than taking the truth of Scripture and allowing it to impact our hearts, change the way we think and change the way we feel and the posture of our soul. And so this truth that is declared... In Psalm 46, the very first verse is this, that God is, not that God sometimes is or that if we depend on him, he is or if we're obedient or if we hold up our end of the bargain, not at all. The truth is this, God simply is, he is a refuge, a shelter, and he is a strength. And this is a very clear picture of somebody who is strong alongside somebody who is weak and he is always present and he's ready to help in trouble. This is the truth that is there. And in the very next two verses begin to outline this path that if you've ever wondered, is this true? The path will help. If you're not sure what to do with your feelings when you don't feel this way, the path of Psalm 46 will guide you into new places in your faith, your heart, your walk with Jesus. So the very next verse says this. Therefore... If you're watching at home, just say it out loud. We will not fear. Say it with me. We will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The sons of Korah, who are the authors of this psalm, we don't know a lot about them except that they were poets. Writers of lyrics. And these lyrics speak to the fear that can rise up in our hearts. I mean, look at what is happening that they're describing. We're not going to fear. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this is what's occurring. The earth is giving way. The mountains are falling into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Have you ever been present during an earthquake? If you've maybe lived in California, our our son Carter's in California and he's experienced a few and some of them larger than others. But he, he, I mean, you know, when this happens, especially in a place like California known for devastating earthquakes, he said, dad, the, the, the earth was literally, the literal earth is literally shaking and moving beneath your feet. What's going to be your response when it feels like there is no stability? You have no idea what's happening next. You don't understand what's going to occur. Is this going to get worse? Is it going to continue? All of the feelings that we've felt for the last 12, 13 months. And as we have those feelings and we watch the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea, Psalm 46 says, Therefore, we will not fear. This feeling of fear, it means I feel unstable and I have no idea what is next. And so when I read about these circumstances that the next two verses of Psalm 46 describe, this is what I realize. I often use my circumstances as an indicator of God's loving presence in my life. Maybe you do the same. And when I understand this truth or this typical tendency of mine, then it makes complete sense as to why verses two and three say this. I know God is a refuge and he's ever-present and he wants to be my strength. But the very next thing the psalm says is the circumstances around you are gonna be drastic. Horrible, frightening, and full of fear. Why does the psalmist go there? Why do the lyrics take me down this path? And it's because of this. I often use my circumstances as an indicator that God's with me. When things are going well, when I have what I need, when I can pay my bills, people like me, I have a sense that God is with me and he is walking in this path alongside of me and things feel good. It is a blessing and I feel blessed and I wanna be a blessing. This is the feeling that God is present with me. But when things aren't going well, when I have friction, when it feels like at every turn, I'm having another fight or another argument or pushing against some unknown tension, then I begin to feel like God isn't with me. And the psalmist is saying to me and to you, I bet you often feel this way too, that you use your circumstances as an indicator of God's loving presence in your life. And so some of you look at your circumstances and wonder why things aren't going well, and you feel like that God is punishing you, or you feel like God is withholding because you have been disobedient, or you haven't been honorable to him. If God loves me, how many times have I heard people say, how many times have I even said, or maybe you've said, if God loves me, then why is this happening to me? And when I have those feelings, it takes what I know and it puts it in conflict with what I feel. And it's confusing. And so maybe you agree with this. Maybe you do the same thing often use your circumstances as an indicator of God's loving presence in your life. What verses two and three begin to teach us about God being a refuge in our strength and, and ever-present help in trouble is this. We, we will not fear when the earth gives way. We will not fear. We will not fear when the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, and even though the waters roar and foam, the mountains quake We won't fear. And so instead of that statement, we'll believe this, that my circumstances will not diminish or destroy my trust in God. This is the beginning of reconciling what I know and what I feel my circumstances will not diminish or destroy my trust in God. I won't look at what's happening in the world or what's happening in my little world or what's happening around me or in my relationships or with my finances or even with my health and mistakenly believe that things will go well if God is blessing me or with me. Even if I am struggling, even if I can't get along with the people closest to me, even if I lose my job, even if I'm in prison, Sharansky would say, Even if I lose everything, I will not allow my circumstances to impact my trust in God. They won't. They can't. And so don't miss this. Psalms can teach us so much about how this works. What's one of the first indicators that the circumstances around me are affecting my trust in God? The psalm tells us. The verses on the screen tell us. What's one of the first indicators for me and for you that we are edging toward a cliff of allowing our trust in God to be eroded by what's happening around us? Well, he says it, fear. He says, therefore, we will not fear even though these things happen. Even though my circumstances are dire, Difficult, painful, uncertain, I will not fear. And so when I jot down in my psalm journal, Lord, I'm fearful, I don't know what to expect. I have no idea what's around the corner. I don't know what to do or how to handle this. I just feel fear rising up. That's an indicator to me that my circumstances are causing trust to diminish. And I'm likely then to go out on my own Force something to happen. Make my own way instead of trusting God. And so this verse lights my way. It begins to tell me about how to reconcile what I know and what I feel. And so these three verses begin this song. This song, these are lyrics that were sung to emotional, probably deeply heartfelt music that God is our refuge and strength. He's our ever-present help. In trouble now. If I'm going to believe that all this is true, that this is true about God, and and I and I have no reason to fear, even though all these things are happening, if I'm going to believe this is true and move down this path, and I have to allow the Psalm to guide my path, and if you take time and read it, Psalm 46, it has all kinds of incredible, helpful insight about promises that God has kept, the ways in which His hand can be seen in history and how you can trust this in the future. And you can read that on your own. But it also has, further down in the verses near the end of the psalm, one incredibly counterintuitive practice that if you understand how it's connected to this truth, it can completely transform your approach to not only fear, but anger and anxiety, just feeling generally unsettled, and help you move into a place where you can say, that I know and I feel both of these things. This is true, that God is our refuge and strength and he is an ever-present help in trouble. It's counterintuitive, but it's, it's true. And so the psalm, the verses that follow, they point to big problems. And these big problems are massive worldwide disunity or, or wars that ensue and what God does as a result. You can read the verses in Psalm 46, but it reminds me of some of the global issues that we have seen erupting, certainly national issues that we've seen, lots of unrest. And here's the thing, when we see things like all the experiences of tension and friction that have created lots of dissonance in our hearts over the last year, we know exactly what to do about these things. In fact, they're, they're problems. Whether it's racial, uh, racial issues, strife, and inequality to issues of a pandemic and whether or not we are going to play a role in this. Do we get vaccinated? Do we not? How will we hang out? Will we experience time and together with friends? And so we begin to research and dig. In fact, we know exactly what to do with issues that come into our life, whether they're small or large. And this is what we know, and this is how we engage. When there's a problem, we know how to find a solution. This is how we operate. In fact, some of you are paid Very handsomely, because you are people who know how to find the solution to a problem. And you do so with wisdom, thought, good research, extensive research. And some of us have used this method to navigate our time through the pandemic. Well, if there's a problem, we can find the solution. Nobody's asking me, but at least I can find peace. We so believe Whatever the problem is, we believe that we're full of all kinds of ingenious thoughts or ideas, research, however we need to dig, to find the solution to what's going on. And so fear begins to translate into action. Finding a solution, busyness. If I just apply myself, we can find our way out. If I just dig a little harder, if I just push a little harder, if I just become a little bit more convincing, we can reconcile. If I just read enough books, if I try to find what's needed for our organization or for our marriage or for our kids, if I work hard enough, I know this, that there is a solution to my problem. And so we stay active and begin to work ourselves into a nervous, anxious, worried frenzy. Fear takes over and we become incapacitated, utterly and completely. If only we work a little bit harder. The Psalm has a different solution, a different path. This is our solution, the Western, maybe American, or maybe just being human. This is how we approach a problem, find a solution. But by the time we get to the end of the psalm, we're so hopeful that God is in fact our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble that we're willing to take any solution other than trying to work our way through it. And so the very last set of verses tell us what it is. It may be one of your favorite verses in all of the psalms. It's Psalm 46, verse 10, and it says this. He says, he is Elohim in the Hebrew, is God. He says, be still and know that I am God. This is the solution to the problem. The solution isn't activity, busyness, The solution isn't doubling down on your efforts. The solution isn't research. The solution isn't pushing harder. The solution isn't more knowledge or more information. The solution isn't convening another committee or deciding how we want to proceed with this problem. The solution is for you and I to sit alone quietly somewhere and know that he is God. In fact, the direct literal translation of the Hebrew would be simply this, be still and know God. That's it, just know him. What does it mean to know him? How would you actually live this verse out? And even as you read this, some of you are thinking right now, I'm just not very good at being still, I'm just not. And we wear this like a badge of honor or courage or some sort of bravery or martyrdom. And yet Psalm 46 says, if you're living with fear or anxiety or any number of things that cause you to put your hand to the plow or grab the steering wheel of your life, the solution is simply to be still and know that God is God and if you know him then you're able to trust that he is a refuge a shelter if you know him then you're able to lean into the truth that he is your strength even in weakness and that he is always present and he will always help if you can be still This idea of being still, a more literal translation of the Hebrew would really be more like this, Uh, cease and desist. You know what a cease and desist order is, right? This is what's called a a legal doublet. It's it's got two commands in it, and it means very clearly, more often than not, the same thing. And it means that if you don't cease and desist, you're going to find yourself in legal trouble, so stop it now, It's a great analogy for this idea of being still. There is a a danger to your busyness or to your activity that will infect your understanding of God with the ability that God needs your help to get something done, and he doesn't. He is sovereign, all-powerful, and God loves it when we lend a hand to his causes and use our gifts and time and ability to accomplish unique things in this world. But what he wants more than anything else is for you and I to be still. So the great translation would be cease and desist, but how I would have said it to my boys when they were growing up is knock it off. Just be still, stop it, be quiet. This idea is all throughout scripture. From the very beginning To the very end. And it's not a surprise. Be still and know that I'm God. Well, this is the reason for the Sabbath. This is why we have a Sabbath. Because God knew that you and I needed to find ourselves in a place where we could step aside, pull ourselves out of this grand production that is life, and know that we're really about as important to what's going on as an extra on a movie set. It's not about us were not necessary to all that busyness and activity. When the prophet Isaiah was called to call out Israel on their sins, he saw what they were doing and and what was it that he called out in terms of their sin? It, It wasn't all the top 10 sins that you could imagine the church has preached about over the last many decades, even centuries. He looks at them and he says, look, here's the deal, people of Israel. In repentance and rest is your strength. In quietness and trust is your salvation, but you would have none of it, he says. That's in chapter 30. Ten chapters later, he quotes this most well-known verse about what it means to be strong and how God comes alongside those who are weary. He says very clearly that God gives strength to the weary and he will come alongside and give power and wings to those who, what? Finish college? Accomplish? Push themselves further? No, no, no. He says... God will come alongside those who wait. Who wait? This is what you want from me, Lord, to just wait in your presence? Well, if you don't learn to wait, if you don't learn to be still and cease and desist and knock it off, then you cannot even begin to know that God is God. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened because you and I, we have the habit of carrying burdens that do not belong to us. Our shoulders were not made for them. Only God can carry the burden of meaning and significance. Only God can carry the burden of an uncertain future. Only God can carry the burden of not knowing what's gonna happen with your health or for goodness sakes, the health of your kids or your spouse. Only God can carry those burdens and yet we carry them every day and we believe that if we research enough, if we dig enough, if we push hard enough, if we work hard enough that our, our future will become a more certain, livable, wonderful, blessed path and God says, no, 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 be still and know that I am God. Look, if you have any trouble at all, wondering whether or not God is a refuge, whether or not he gives you strength in your weakness, whether or not it's him that is an ever-present help in times of trouble and difficulty, then it probably is because you and I were not very good at being still. So how, how good are you at it? Have you practiced? What would it mean to sit quietly and still without the busyness or the distraction of media, your phone, or conversations, or you'll find your mind racing and wondering, what what if you just began to take some of the verses in Psalm 46, just at the beginning and maybe at the end, and use them as places to rest your heart in stillness and in quietness? How long do you think you could last? Five minutes? Maybe 10? Maybe shorter? the more you can learn to rest in quietness and trust the strength that God can offer, the more you will find that what Jesus said is absolutely true. You will have his peace. You remember what he said? Peace I give to you. I don't give peace the way the world does. My peace remains. My peace stays. And that happens when we are still and quiet before God so this week during the Lent season what if you endeavored to practice that habit all you have to lose is your anxiety your fear your anger your lack of trust just imagine with me what if what if you develop this habit in your life in such a profound and powerful way that even when the earth trembles even when the mountains quake that you see the circumstances around you and your trust in God does not begin to diminish but instead it is strengthened because you feel the power of his presence because you've practiced it and the quietness of a quiet corner in your home you experienced his presence and you know that he is God you're going to get just about a minute and a half to practice that right now with just some background music and some words on the screen let me pray to lead you into that Lord our prayer today is that you would allow us to experience the truth of Psalm 46 verse 1 not just in our minds as something we know, but in our hearts and in our souls as something that we feel. Lord, we have lived with fear this year. We have experienced anxiety and uncertainty. And our hope is that as the words of Scripture gain footing in our heart, that they will grow deep in rooted ways that when we experience uncertainty in the days to come, our trust in you will not be diminished. So Lord, may we simply be still and know that you are God. Amen.